others. We know that you're in our midst. And I pray even now, Father, that there be a cleansing of all of our hearts, that we'd be able to be sensitive to your Holy Spirit, to your Holy Word, and to not let anything stand between us and you, Lord, because everyone in here needs a touch from you. We pray there be a sensitivity. God, even as we celebrate communion today, we remember that the church is blood-bought, and the church isn't a building. It's us, your people, gathered together to give you praise, to worship you, and to humble ourselves before you that we would yield to you and your truths because you're Father and you know what's best. So give us an ear to hear, as it's always been your desire for your church, Jesus, that we would have an ear to hear what the Spirit is speaking to the church. In Jesus' name. Amen. If you want to turn to Genesis 40, that's where we're going to be today. It's been a little while since we've been in uh, the book of Genesis last week, just doing kind of a topical with a church anniversary uh, baptism, 19 years of God's faithfulness. And, and really, I think it's always good to have a little reset of what church is and what it is supposed to be, um, because it's really lost its course in the days in which we're living, at least in the visible. Um, but the truth is, is that Jesus said he'd build his church. And we know the gates of hell won't prevail against it. So we're in Genesis 40, and we're looking at a man that I cannot wait to meet someday in heaven. Joseph. Um, We see that as you study his life, you know, there's a lot of similarities uh, to Jesus Christ. You know, it's almost like he's an Old Testament kind of picture of Christ to a degree. He was loved greatly of his father. Jesus was the beloved of the father. He was hated and rejected of his own. Jesus came to his own and his own received him not. He was betrayed and sold for 20 shekels of silver. Jesus was for 30 shekels of silver. He was falsely accused and he was taken captive. And thank God Jesus, thank Jesus that he allowed himself to be taken captive so he could go to a cross and pay for your sin and mine. So we see the similarities here. But now we're on the other side of Joseph taking a righteous stand. He did what was right. I think I never really noticed it until this time when I studied it in the life of Joseph. When he was tempted of Potiphar's wife, seduced of Potiphar's wife, this is what he said. How can I do this great wickedness? I love his outlook on sin. He saw it as great wickedness. He didn't downplay it. But he saw exactly what it was before God Almighty. And he said, how could I do this and sin against God? There was nothing in his life that he wanted to bring into his life that would divide him from what he was experiencing and enjoying, regardless of his present circumstances in his relationship with the living God who created everything. Now remember up to this point, you know, we have our Bibles. All he had was Genesis 1 and he's living into 40. So he didn't have as much as we have. So... Where is he at this point? He's in Egypt, okay? He's a victim of jealousy, betrayal, and deception. At this point, he's in the prison system because of false accusation and injustice. But you know where else he is? He's right in the center of God's will. That's where it doesn't look like it. It doesn't feel like it. But he kept his life on the path of righteousness. And although all this adversity came into his life, God was working in the midst of the adversity. 
And he refused to play the victim card. Refused. We're going to see that as we go through this. This man chose not to let life handle him, but he chose to trust God to handle his life. A tremendous amount of faith. That his father in heaven would mold and guide his heart, and he wouldn't allow the circumstances to mismold and misguide his heart. We see that he spent a lot of time alone. He was alone in the pit. He was in alone in the midst of this Midianite merchantman caravan that was taking him to Egypt. He was alone in Potiphar's house as a servant. He was alone in Potiphar's house when he chose to do what was right before the eyes of Almighty God, even though he was accused of rape and, and wrongdoing by Potiphar's wife. And now we find him alone in Egypt's prison. He was all alone, but he was never alone. Leonard Ravenhill is one of my favorite authors, and he said this. He goes, you cannot say that Jesus is all that you need until Jesus is all that you have. At this point, Jesus is all that Joseph has. And he doesn't even know him as Jesus yet. He just knows him as God. David understood that. He, he, he said, when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you're with me. At the end of Paul's life, 2 Timothy chapter 4, he says, though all men forsook me, the Lord stood by me. We see a God that he didn't keep Joseph from prison, but he joined him in prison. He didn't keep the three Hebrew children from the fiery furnace that was fired up seven times hotter. He joined them in the fiery furnace. And it tells us in the Bible by the experiences and the examples that we see that the presence of God is sufficient. The presence of God should be sufficient for the circumstances and the crises that our lives are currently in. You think at this point, Joseph had any regrets with what God chose to do with his life? I mean, maybe you haven't read the rest of the story, but trust me, this is going to be an amazing orchestrated event that God Almighty is going to do in his life, you know. But right now, he's in a season of life that had difficulty, had pain had loneliness. But you know, it's just like us who live here in New York, man. Our summer's breezing by us. And, and you know, we might have those seasons of trials in our life, but just like New York, seasons can change quickly. And his season's going to change quickly for the good. I think the thing that I notice about him and, and the heart that this guy has is, you know, Paul told us in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18, while we look not at the things which are seen, but the things that are not seen. For the things that are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Focus off temporal, focus on eternal. I really believe that Joseph chose to live that way. And it is a way to live like Paul says here, and you think about everything that Paul went, he was the one that would write to the young pastors to keep yourself pure, to keep your heart pure. I think keeping that eternal focus is what kept him where he needed to be with all the wrong that was coming into his life, all the injustices, all the persecutions that were coming into his life. It was where he chose to set his focus. We have to ask ourselves, church, where are we choosing to set our focus? 
So we pick up in verse 1 of chapter 40. Now, now remember, he, he gets to prison, right? And he's prospered. And I think we're going to see a little bit why today, but, but that the Lord was with him and he was shown mercy and he was shown great favor by the keeper of the prison. And now he's in charge. Hey, Joseph, I know you just got to this prison, but here's the keys. <laughs> this guy had control over the whole prison. And it came to pass after these things. Now, we don't know how long that after these things was, but this is what we do know. We do know that Joseph was abiding faithful. This was a man who was choosing to be faithful to God when he didn't understand why he was going through what he was going through. You ever have a season like that? What in the world is this? I'm just trying to love the Lord and to live for Him. But I've got all these things that have stepped into my life that are out of my control. I try to do right, and all this stuff comes up against me. Joseph just stayed faithful. So it came to pass after these things that the butler of the king of Egypt and his baker had offended, the word in the Hebrew really is they sinned against their Lord, the king of Egypt. And the Pharaoh was wroth against these two officers, against the chief of the butlers and against the chief of the bakers. So, so what we're seeing here is God is allowing these natural circumstances to bring about a supernatural plan. That's what's happening here. And, and, and the thing about God, and you know this about God, I mean, obviously we're all waiting for the return of Jesus Christ, and that hasn't happened, um, that God is very patient in what he's doing. Very patient. He'll take months, he'll take years. But he has something in mind for your life and for mine, and he's orchestrating situations and circumstances, even using natural things to establish something very supernatural for his glory and for his kingdom. The problem is, is we often are camped out in verse 40. We don't know what happens in the, in the future chapters. So what do, what do we need before those future chapters come to pass? We need to trust the one who said on that cross, it's finished. We have to trust the one who is willing to step into this life and to lay down and to shed blood for each one of us, to leave heaven and to step into this world, this spiritual sewer pit, and to die on that cross for you and I. He's worthy of our trust. But here's the thing. He's, he's in prison. He probably thinks, I'm never going to get out of here. But you never know who God's going to bring into your life. And it's so important to keep our eyes on God and what he's doing and how he wants to use us in circumstances. Pharaoh was angry. Okay, so these guys, man, they're in trouble. So... Apparently, probably, most commentators believe that there was some kind of an attempt on, on the king of Egypt's life. You know, the term Pharaoh would be coined later. Uh, at this time, they used Pharaoh, but it's actually, he was the king of Egypt. So the, the, most people believe that there was some kind of an assassination attempt on Pharaoh's life, and Pharaoh was wroth against the two officers, against the chief of the butlers, and against the chief of the bakers. And he put them in a ward in the house of the captain of the guard into the prison, the place where Joseph was bound. So where's Joseph bound? He is bound at the captain of the guard's house. Who's the captain of the guard? We already learned that, Potiphar. <laughs> so think about that. You think Potiphar believed his wife or Joseph? He could have had 
Joseph taken out, right? But instead, he puts him in charge of the prison that is somewhere located on his property because he didn't want to lose him. He knew what a treasure he was. So if Pharaoh's really angry with you, there's a lot to be concerned about. So we see these individuals, you know, their, their, their lives are probably going to, we're going to see as we go through the chapter, but they're probably thinking, both of them are thinking, I'm going to die. The guilty one knew he would, but the innocent one thought I could die a false accusation. But what we're seeing here is none of this is coincidence. It's total providence. This is the hand of God moving. He put him in the ward of the house of the captain of the guard into the prison, the place where Joseph was bound. And the captain of the guard, look at, he charged Joseph with them. And look what Joseph did. And he served them. That's what Joseph had the position. But you know what he did have in that position of authority? It made him a servant. You see that a lot like Christ. And, you know, that's the teaching that we get out of Mark's gospel, chapter 10. is that we don't do things the way the world does things. If you want to be great in the eyes of God's kingdom, you want to be the servant of all. So we see the heart of this individual here. What's Joseph doing? He's just there. He's serving because he knew that serving them, he was serving God. And they continue to season in that ward. But divine appointments are really being orchestrated. And as he serves them... Here's the one of the things that I see about him. Everything he's going through, he's going to be such a usable vessel because I think he had an internal battle cry in his life that believers need to really examine in their own life is that he chose to live eyes off self. We live in a culture that is pumping self-absorption into our life and the fruit of culture is depression, anxiety, you know, just being down, everything else because of this pumping of this self-absorption. But we look at him here and he just had his eyes off self. He's a real guy. He's full of pain. He's sad. He's hurt. He's alone. Accusation, all these things. But he refused to allow resentment, bitterness, unforgiveness, harden his life and to make him unusable. He chose to serve God right where he was at, even if that wasn't where he wanted to be. It's someone that chose to just grow where he's planted. We might be in locations we don't want to be. We might be in marriages where we don't want to be. We might be in seasons where we don't want to be. But the challenge the Holy Spirit wants to give us through examples like a Joseph or a Daniel is to just bloom where you're planted. Grow where you're planted. Stay in fellowship with Jesus Christ and allow him to use your life because you're choosing to serve others because your eyes aren't on yourself. And they dreamed a dream, both of them. Each man. His dream in one night. Each man, according to the interpretation of his dream, the butler and the baker of the king of Egypt, which were bound in the prison. And Joseph came in in the morning, and he looked upon them, and behold, they were sad. Look where his focus is. Look where his focus is. You know, his focus, he just noticed the emotional need. He noticed what people were going through around him. You know? And I'm going to tell you right now, we're living in a world where 
almost everybody's going through something. And I think God's looking for sensitivity in his people to be willing to get their eyes off their self, maybe their situation, and really meet the needs that are all around them because there's needs everywhere, especially spiritual and eternal needs. You know, the other night, I took Danelle out for her birthday. It was her birthday. She turned 29. And, uh, <laughs> again, and uh, we went up to the roadhouse. And it was great. You know, I mean, just went in there. The roadhouse is awesome. Your mouths are probably watering right now because that place is so stinking good. But um, so as we're sitting at the table, you know, it, it took a while for our food to come out. But it came out warm, so we were good with it and everything. But, but her steak got burnt you know, and it was like, it was almost unedible burnt, and so they took it back, and we waited there, but anyhow, you know, what you think is going to be like an hour, hour and 15 minute meal turned into about two and a half hours of sitting around, but, but the blessing was, is we had the most unbelievable waitress I've ever had in my life. Her name was Jazzy, Jasmine, something like that, but, but she was phenomenal, you know, and uh, so we're getting towards the end of the meal. We we're supposed to go somewhere. We couldn't do that because they took so long wrecking our food, but that, that's a side point. I'm not bitter. I'm just saying. And uh, so, you know, at the end there, you know, it's all said and done. And the bottom line is, you know, we had a good, good time. But as I'm sitting there, you know, I just had this overwhelming experience. I haven't one other time to me at a wrestling match, but but I just had this overwhelming experience of, you know, all these people crammed into this restaurant in, in, in souls and eternity. You know what I mean? It just kind of hits you like really deeper than normal. And, and as we're sitting there, you know, I, I realize I'm like, Lord, I got a bigger purpose here today than just to overdose on these rolls and the cinnamon butter, which is phenomenal. But, but so, so I told her, I'm like, you know, I'm not kidding you. You're the best waitress I've ever had in my life. And she just kind of lit up and said, thank you. And I, I just threw it out there. I'm like, you know Jesus? And, and she's like, you know what? I grew up with Christian roots. You know, and I would love to tell you that she just broke and gave her heart to Jesus Christ right there at our table. That didn't happen. But you know what? She started to talk to us about the way that she grew up and some of the pain that she went through and a lot of the disappointment that she went through. And we were able just to splash God's love and, God, and splash God's truth on her because you know what? A burnt steak and spending more time at a restaurant that you planned on doesn't really matter. And we need to hear that as Americans. What matters is that person who handed you the food and the opportunities that God wants to give to each one of us. I look at Joseph, and he challenges me to the core because he was observant of the needs that were all around him because he had so much focus on other people because he didn't live with self-focus. And I'm telling you, when we can live with focus off self, we can be so usable, and we can seize so many opportunities to be used in people's lives because we live in a world that Christ loves, that Christ came to die for. And it's not just about us getting up in the morning, hitting the grind to make the paycheck, to buy the stuff that we want. No, we're missionaries on earth and we've only got a short time left because the King of Glory is coming. Turn to John's Gospel with, with chapter 9, if you would, with me.
And so John 9, this is a very exhortive um, scripture, really uh, a challenging scripture. It's really, he's not, Jesus isn't just giving us truth, but he's given us example also. In verse 3, he says, neither, or I'm sorry, verse 4, he says this, he goes, I must work. Okay, that word work there literally means to toil at an occupation. That's what that word work means there. The works of him that sent me while it is day. And the day that he's referencing there is like what we see in Matthew 20. It's the day of a life. It's a short time period that James tells us we have called a vapor. That's when we have, and we all have a common occupation. And and I know that there's probably businessmen in here, there's officers in here, there's farmers in here, there's construction workers, but our common occupation that we have as God's people is that we're kingdom laborers. That's what we're called to be. We're kingdom laborers. All right, that means that we're vessels of honor that we want to, to present before God daily, uh, sometimes hour by hour, that we would be usable for his purposes, that he would use our lives. But he said, I got to do this while the day, because look at the night comes when no man can work. The night comes when no man can work. What does that mean? That means when our time on earth is over. It's when our vapor is extinguished. You know, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90 years, 100 maybe, whatever it might be. But that means that I've only got this short time to make a difference for the glory of God and for his kingdom. Because the night comes when no man can work. It's an inherited outlook that we're supposed to have. To seize the day, to remember that today matters, tomorrow matters, this week matters. And when our mind gets flying by with a crazy schedule, I'm already contemplating my schedule through the week, don't box Jesus out but put him front and center. You can turn back to Genesis with me. Your life hasn't been called to nothing. Your life has been called to something. And because God's called it to something, it's something great. That's what Nehemiah knew about his life. He said, I've been called to a great work. Why? Because he knew God called him to it, and he knew it was eternal. If it was eternal, it was something great. And so is yours. You might not feel like it because you're in the mundane every day, but I don't know how many days he was in this prison. I'm sure it got really mundane, but behind the scenes, there's a God that's at work accomplishing his purposes, and that's what you and I have been called to. So we see here that it says Pharaoh's officer, he looked upon him, and they were sad, and he asked Pharaoh's officers that were with him in the ward of the Lord's house saying, why do you look so sad this day? And they said here that we've dreamed a dream and and there's no interpreter of it. And Joseph said unto him, do not interpretations belong to God. Tell me, I pray thee. Remember, his brothers called him. You're the... Here, come, here cometh that dreamer, right? God had given him dreams. And, and he didn't tell him, you know, 
I used to believe in dreams. I used to think that God could interpret dreams. No, you know what he said? That there's a God in heaven that interprets dreams. And guess what? It's an affirmation of his faith that this guy is keeping the faith regardless of circumstances. Can we say that about our life currently? Am I keeping the faith regardless of circumstances? And not just to keep in the faith like I can recite some scripture, but I'm choosing to live that scripture. I'm living out the word. I'm living as what Christ has called me when he told me to come and to follow him. You know, you look at this and he doesn't even know it, but there's an individual he didn't meet till, he, till the individual got to heaven 1,100 years later. You know who would glean from his example? Another crazy king that had a dream. He wanted to kill everybody because uh, they couldn't interpret his dream. And then there, uh, Daniel steps into the life of a Nebuchadnezzar. I wonder where he got that kind of faith and courage. Maybe it was from a man he knew about years ago named Joseph. So those examples are passed on to us so we can handle these situations with the same courage and the same faith because we serve the same God. So we see here, he goes, do not interpretations belong to God. Tell me, I pray thee. His response shows a heart that has chosen not to define the goodness of God by the badness of circumstances. He says there's a God. Now look at Joseph. He, he couldn't even hold on to Romans 8.28 the way we do. He couldn't even hold on to what he's going to say years into the future in Genesis 50, what you meant for evil, God worked to the good. He couldn't even hold on to Proverbs chapter 3 that would be written in the book of, uh, the book of Proverbs, you know, to trust in the Lord with all your heart, not to lean on your own understanding. He, he couldn't even lean on any of that stuff. You know what he did? He, he might not have been able to lean on the word as much as we do, but he leaned on the author, and that's what we're called to do. He trusted God's person and what God had revealed to him. But I want you to look at this, and I want you to consider this. We live in a world where people have questions, and God's people are the interpreters of life. What I mean by that is God has revealed to us from the Scriptures, from Genesis to Revelation, what this life is all about. And our Bible is more than just a Bible. It's God's Word, but it's a promise book. It's also an answer book. And we're called to study to show ourselves approved. Proverbs tells us that the righteous studies to answer. We're supposed to be ready to always give an answer for the hope that lies within us. Why? Because people want interpretation of this life. I remember before I was saved, I'm like, what's this life all about? And to know that there's answers. And they might not pick up a Bible, but they might show up in your neighborhood or they might be the next person that you work with that's going through some things and they want some answers. These guys want some answers. And look, at God orchestrates it. So, so he puts Joseph's in life in, into their life. And, and the chief butler told his dream to Joseph and said to him, in my dream, behold, a vine was before me. And in a vine... There were three branches, and it was as though it budded, and her blossoms shot forth, and the clusters thereof brought forth ripe grapes. 
and Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes, and I pressed them into Pharaoh's cup, and I gave the cup into Pharaoh's hand. And Joseph said unto him, this is the interpretation of it, three branches are three days, yet within three days shall Pharaoh lift up thine head and restore thee to thy place, and thou shalt deliver Pharaoh's cup to his hand after the former manner from when you were his butler. But think, look at he says, but think on me. Look at Joseph gives him the interpretation, he gives him one request. Just remember me. Think on me when it shall be well with thee, and show kindness, I pray thee, unto me, and make mention of me unto Pharaoh that you'd bring me out of this house. But I love what we see here with the heart of Joseph. And I want you to think about this. Think about everything you've been through. The injustice of what his brothers did to him. Just prior to that, his mother died. His grandfather died. His brothers do this heinous sin against him. Lie to the father. He doesn't even know that his dad thinks He's dead. He might be wondering, why is my father not coming for me? Potiphar's wife's false rape accusations against him. All these things. And look what he says here. He says, for indeed I was stolen away out of the land of the Hebrews, and here also have I done nothing that they should put me into the dungeon. No naming of his brothers. No naming of Potiphar's wife. Nothing at all. I see a man who has chosen not to harbor bitterness and has chosen not to harden himself over the injustices and the wrongs that were committed at him. I look at this, and I think about this individual. He kept himself so usable because he allowed God to continually do maintenance on his heart. No resentment. No bitterness. No names. For us as believers, we see a Christ-like example in him. Because I look at that and I'm like, how can you be that way if your heart hasn't chosen to exercise forgiveness? We look at our Lord Jesus Christ on the cross, and we're going to take communion a little bit. I know i got to get moving here. really got to get moving. Um... But we look at him in the cross, and what do you say? He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Who at that time was asking for forgiveness? I don't see anybody asking for forgiveness. You know what he was doing? He was exercising it before it was asked for. And you know what? A lot of us, like Joseph, we can think to some heinous wrong that was done to us in our life. We can think of something that we, someone that we resent someone that we're bitter at, someone that we thought, ah, maybe I'll try to forgive them, and we haven't. But all that does 
is hurt us. All that does is keep us from being as usable as God wants us to be. We, we see this in this man, this Joseph. Christ said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And then he said, it's finished. You know, the thing is, I'd never do this injustice to you. To say, you know what? Because people in this room have been through things that I can't even imagine. I would never do this injustice and tell you, you know what? You need to forgive. I'm here to tell you, you can't forgive. But you can choose to forgive, and God can produce the forgiveness through your life. And then you know, you can say anytime the devil wants to remind you of that, just what Jesus said on the other side of him exercising forgiveness, it's finished. It's finished. That's behind me. Because whom the Son is set free is free indeed. God doesn't want us to live with any shackles. I see a man whose location was in prison, but he's one of the freest men I see in the Bible. Because of the direction he chose to go in his heart. And the chief baker saw the interpretation was good, and he said to Joseph, I also had a dream, and behold, I had three white baskets on my head. The uttermost basket was full of all manner of baked meats for Pharaoh, and the birds did eat them out of the basket upon my head. And Joseph answered, said, This is the interpretation thereof. The three baskets are three days, and within three days shall Pharaoh lift up thine head from off thee, and shall hang thee on a tree, and the birds shall eat thy flesh from off of thee. Whew, he wasn't getting the news the other guy got. But you know what? You know what I see about Joseph here, and I love this because, look at you got to stay faithful to the integrity of the Scripture. Joseph was always faithful to deliver the message that God had given him, even if it was hard to deliver. I look at the grace of God. He tells him in three days, so that was a space of grace, just like the church at Thyatira, so he could get right with Joseph's God. But regardless whether he chose to or not, God, he was faithful with that. You know, It's great sharing good news, but you know the Bible's also got some bad news too. And the bad news is simply this. If, you, you know, if Jesus Christ doesn't become your Lord and Savior, that there's a place in eternity that is void of God. God's not there, and everything good about God isn't there, and it's called hell, it's the lake of fire, and it's forever. And of all the roads that lead into hell, there's not one road that leads out. And it's forever. It's a sealed deal. It's unchangeable. This vapor like we talked about, the most important thing that God wants to do in this vapor that we just talked about that in James chapter 4 is that at some point you come to the crossroads and you make the most important decision of your life what you do with Jesus Christ because that determines your eternity. God sent his son to pay for your sins. He's either going to pay for it or you're going to pay for it. And when he pays for it, he becomes our Lord and Savior. We follow him. We have forgiveness. And we have eternity for heaven forever. New heaven, new earth, new Jerusalem forever. In a kingdom where there's no more pain, sorrow, tears, crying, no more death, nothing like that at all. That's what we get. And I am so glad Christ was willing to step into this filthy sinner's life by his grace and to drop the blinders from my eye and show me how much I needed him. And if there's anybody in here today that hasn't made Christ their Lord and Savior, look at there's bad news ahead. And I love you enough to be faithful to God's message to tell you that. 
You can reject Jesus Christ, but I'm here to tell you that. You will go to hell. Actually, you will go to the lake of fire eventually. And I can also tell you the good news. If you've made Christ your Lord and Savior, we got something common that's beyond our imagination to even come up by the grace of God. And it came to pass after the third day at Pharaoh's birthday, and he made a feast unto all his servants, and he lifted up the head of the chief butler and the chief baker among his servants, and he restored the chief butler with his butlership again, and he gave the cup into Pharaoh's hand, and he hanged the chief baker, and Joseph had the interp- that uh, Joseph had interpreted to him. <laughs> what, a great, what do you want to do for your birthday? Well, let's hang that one, dude. This guy's nuts. Yet did not the chief butler remember Joseph, but he forgot him. I can assure you in your current life circumstances, God hasn't forgotten you and the life that you're living for him. Hebrews 6.10 tells us, For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and your labor of love, which you showed towards his name, and that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. You know what God has forgotten about you? He's forgotten your sins. I, even I, am he that blots out thy transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember thy sins. The only thing God chooses not to remember about you is the sins that you have committed that put his son on that cross. Forgiven past, present, and future because the blood that we celebrate today is sufficient. More than sufficient. That's why we don't add to the cross of Jesus Christ. So as we take communion today, it's just a time, really, it's a time hopefully to be refreshed. All right? Sunday school teacher's going to kill me, but but it's it's a time, well, we're not teaching Sunday school, so who cares? But um, (laughs) don't tell them I said that. Uh, So you know, it's a time really for us to celebrate. You know, the, the Jews representing the blood that was shed. If he didn't shed his blood, there'd be no forgiveness of sins. And, and, and the cracker representing his body that was broken for us, that Christ made the sacrifice. Jesus did it. You don't have to do it for God. God did it for you. And I want to encourage you, if you've got any doubts that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, to get that right, to put your trust and your faith in him right now and to choose to follow him right now in your heart before you even take communion. Because this either means everything or it means nothing. To me, it means everything. Because if he didn't do that, heaven's not my home and hell's my destiny. But because he did that, heaven is my home and I don't worry about hell anymore. Father, we bless you. We thank you for your love. We thank you that you're a wonderful Savior that that cares so much about each one of us, Lord. And we look at the examples of Joseph that you've given us in the Bible. Father, we pray that that you would work within us the the same kind of of focus, Lord, that, that keeps it off of ourselves and keeps it on you and the opportunities that you want to give us. We get to take communion today. We get to remember what you were willing to do for us 2,000 years as a father, offering up your son. And Jesus, you as a son who is willing to, to say, not your will, but the father's will be done. 
because of the joy set before you, Lord. You looked all the way into 2022 and you, you saw these people at Opaz Chapel and this was part of the joy that was set before you and that's why you endured the cross. And we want to say thank you. We want to say thank you, Lord. But help us not just to say thank you with our lips. Help us to say thank you with our lives to live for your glory. We bless you, Lord. As we take communion today, may your spirit move amongst us. May you refresh us and encourage us in your love and your grace, Lord, your great promises. And for people who are in adverse circumstances today, no matter what those circumstances are, Father, may there just be a great awareness, Lord, that you're there for them the same way you were for Joseph. And you will work things to the good because that's what you do. In Jesus' name, amen.